Coming up on The Exam Room. It's a choice. It's kind of like Shawshank Redemption, right? Get busy living or get busy dying. Would you agree? Wholeheartedly. And if you were to know my family history on my mother's side of the family, my father's side of the family, there's a lot of uh, early deaths, a lot of cancer, uh, a lot of heart attacks. My grandfather on my father's side of the family had his first heart attack at 42. Um, my mother's mother died of 55 of breast cancer. And so it's just kind of littered like that. So people often say to us, boy, we'd love to have your genes. And we're like, really, you, you don't want to have our genes. <laughs> what you want to have is you want to have what we have on our dinner plate, what we have in our breakfast bowl, and what we have for lunch. That's what it's all about. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Jersey City, New Jersey, Stamford, Connecticut, and New York, New York. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 68 of season 6, number 464 overall. And live from New York, it's the most heart-healthy night of your life. This is the second of three big 15 million podcast download celebrations. This one live from the Museum of the City of New York, just across the street from Central Park with Dr. Neil Barnard, Dr. Robert Osfeld, Dr. Michelle McMacken, and the one and only Mr. Plantstrong, Rip Esselstyn, all together on stage with me for the most heart-healthy night of your life. It was so good to meet hundreds of exam roomies live and in person, and now I am so thrilled to bring this to all of the exam roomies who weren't able to join us that night. And keep in mind as you are listening tonight that 80% of heart disease cases are preventable, which means that the power of prevention is in your hands right this second. The power of prevention is down the hall in your kitchen at this very second. The power of prevention is at the farmer's market, the grocery store. It can be literally everywhere. And really the power of prevention begins with you and making healthier choices. It's not always easy, but certainly today we are going to give you the facts to shape these decisions and get you fired up. Raise those health IQs to move into a healthy and happy future. And the part that I love most about the conversations that you are going to hear tonight is in particular, when Rip was talking about people coming up to the Esselstons and always saying, we wish we had your genes. And Rip's retort absolutely throws them for a loop. They're not expecting it. Knocks them back on their heels when he says, no, you don't. Because a lot of us also have cancer and heart disease, all of these chronic diseases. The difference is the Esselstyns now are living proof that the power of prevention is right with you. And it begins with the life you lead and the foods that you eat. So we're going to get some inspiration. We're going to get a lot of education. You're going to hear Dr. McMacken talking about these incredible efforts that they are making to create healthier hospital menus for their patients who are there 
getting their lives saved, literally having the worst days of their life. But then also with the breakfast, the lunch, the dinner, building the foundations for a healthier future. So we're going to hear about how they're able to do that, her partnership with Mayor Eric Adams and all the work that's going into that. Dr. Robert Osfeld giving us the best and worst list when it comes to food, talking about erectile dysfunction for us guys. Listen up, I'm telling you, and you're going to hear from Dr. Osfeld as well. This is one of the first signs that something could be amiss with your ticker. It is not something to play around with. So Dr. Osfeld and I are going to be getting into that, but then also so much hope and inspiration from Dr. Barnard and so many others. It was a sold out night. It was a ton of fun and it was my honor and my privilege to meet so many wonderful exam roomies. And now to bring it to all of you who are helping to build this healthier world together. So without further ado, Live from New York, it's the exam room and the most heart-healthy night of your life. Wow, that is a lot of people. Holy cow. Woohoo! Man, I'm nervous, y'all. I'm not going to lie. Uh, thanks for coming. Uh, it's so good to see everybody here. So many friendly faces and to meet all of you earlier, but... Um, my dad and my stepmom are here. Like, I am super nervous. Like, legit. Don and Carol Carol are in the house. So, um, but also want to say a quick shout out to Samantha Salmon, who is here from, um, yeah. Before tonight, I taped an episode with Samantha and her mom that we're going to release here in a couple of weeks. And their story is just absolutely off the charts good and she is such a friend of the show now and I'm just so honored that you're here. Thank you, Samantha Dorell, for being here. It was truly an honor. Rawfoodmealplanner.com. I mean, check, check them out. All right. My first guest really needs no introduction, but because he's here, we're going to give him one anyway. Without this gentleman, there would be no exam room. He took a chance on the show when really he didn't have to, but it is truly a pleasure to be here with him tonight and to call him a colleague and now a friend. With that, we welcome Dr. Neil Barnard to the show. Your sir, sir, have a seat. We made a mistake of standing up for our entire segment in L.A., and let's get comfortable. <laughs> Man, look at this crowd, Dr. Barnard. This is pretty cool, right? Well, congratulations on 15 million downloads. I mean, can yeah. you believe it? And, what, 100 million live streams? Incredible. I mean, yeah, I mean, 15 million downloads, close to 100 million streams on YouTube. And six years ago, when we began this show, like, I, I never would have thought we would have reached this level, ever. But, but it's so important because I think of it as, yes, it's, it's, it's in many ways friendly, it's a community, it's light, but it is so deadly serious, the work that you are doing to reach out, inspire, educate people, bring in people whose message has to get out there for people who need it. So that is what it's all about. So good on you, man. And, and that's really what it's about. It's like every show, I feel like I'm talking to an audience of one. And that's the old me when I was 420 pounds. And I always feel like I'm trying to coach myself up and raise my health IQ. But it is going out there and it's reaching people around the world. I got an email from a woman by the name of Maria 
who just loves the show. And, and she wrote in, and I just wanted to share it for a second. She said, I don't know if your compassion, your empathy, respect, and dignity for people developed out of your hardships of dealing with food addiction or obesity or who knows what else, but my heartfelt gratitude and most appreciation to you. I have such respect and dignity for all that you and Dr. Barnard do, and you are definitely touching hearts and changing minds around the world. And that's what it's about, my friend. But, you know, to, to reach Maria and others around the world, 15, 100 million strong, it really does take a lot of support. So as our friend Noah said at the top of the show, if you guys have not yet had the opportunity to stop by our membership table, man, we would greatly appreciate it if you could uh, join us here at the Physicians Committee because your support is everything. We could not reach the Marias of the world without your support. So give yourself a round of applause as well. But, you know, you know, one piece of this, Chuck, that people may, may not be aware of at the Physicians Committee, we do not accept any sponsorship from any food company, whether it's good or bad or indifferent, um, <laughs> unlike lots of others. So what that means is that we have to be totally solid, and so we depend on, on donations from, from individuals to do our work. So thank you for making that happen. And here's, here's how serious that statement is. I remember asking you one time on the show if that even meant like if the biggest broccoli producer in the world, Big Broccoli, came in and like wanted to do Big Broccoli Presents the Exam Room. You said no. No, well, well we, we can't do that because what if we do a study that shows that broccoli is good for you, which it would be, and if it, we're taking money from them, that would taint the study. So we don't take any money from anybody who makes food products or supplements or any of that kind of stuff. Now, there are many researchers who do, and I understand why, because you kind of need to to survive. That's not our gig. Our gig is to be honest, straight, and as assertive as we can to get this megaphone-fueled um, uh, message out there to the extent that we can. That's the goal. And, yeah, clap, clap it up for that. And, you know, you and I have talked about this. When you were coming up through medical school, the research that we talk about on the show just did not exist. When did you start to connect the dots that, yeah, what you eat does in fact matter for your health? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny you'd say that. My, my memory is I would go into the university hospital, George Washington University Hospital, and they sold cigarettes in the, in the gift shop. And I bought them. And I would light up with my head of surgery, and we'd walk together down to the doctor's lounge smoking. And their patients could smoke in bed as long as there was no oxygen flowing. This was, this was it. And I got hamburgers out of the vending machine, and I would sneak into Himmelfarb Library where I would study, eating my, my burgers and things like that. And, you know, I mean, we knew this was, like, not the world's best. But we figured, well, I'm under stress, and we're kind of taking our time uh, to make changes. But i got to tell you, the science... Science has come along so much. At that time, we were influenced by, say, the Framingham Heart Study and kind of its progeny, which gave us risk factors. You got a high cholesterol. You're going to have a higher risk of heart disease. You have high blood pressure. You're a smoker. That was helpful. Nobody talked about reversing. It was all risk factors that, that if we could control them, maybe we could slow it down, maybe prevent some heart attacks. Reversal, not in the vocabulary. And the second thing was, everything was baby steps. Don't eat so much red meat, eat more poultry. Take the skin off your chicken. <laughs> that was like, smoke a filtered cigarette. 
You know, I mean, this was, this was just not getting there. Um, so things have dramatically moved forward. Um, and it's not, not only in what diet can do, but how readily we can accommodate to it. How, how you can take this in hand and make these changes. How, just, how old were you guys, by and large? You don't have to tell us your age, but how old were you guys when you first started to learn that, yeah, I really should be paying more attention to what it is that I'm eating because it does matter. It absolutely does matter. So is it 20s? Was it 30s? Feel free to shout it out. 40s, 50s? Where were you guys? 60s. 60s. So kind of all over the place, but I think that really the message that I love to deliver is that no matter how old you were, by and large, it's never too late. It's really never too late, is it, Dr. Barnard? Exactly. Exactly. And, and, but, but people need more than just facts. They, 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 they need information, but they also need to be part of a community. They need a certain amount of support. Um, that's what you bring to it. By the way, I, I want to give a shout out to Rip, to your dad, um, Essie, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn. When he, he, I mean, not only, had, not only has he... Not only has he pioneered great research work, but I got to tell you, there's no more generous human being ever on this planet um, uh, in a day when you can't get your doctor on the phone. I mean, you just try. Um, you call a number and you get rooted around and press three for this and that and wait on hold. If there's somebody who needs some help, Rip's dad, Essie, is going to say, give him my number. They'll call him. He'll spend an hour with them. They'll meet together. This is that kind of compassion that used to be the core of medicine and I think is becoming it again now that we're learning uh, from people like, like Essie about what medicine really can be. Isn't that right? And I know you inherited it too, so your whole family. I know, man. That, that entire family is just inspiration. I can't, I can't wait to bring them up on stage. Uh, but before I do, let me, let me ask you this. I, I mean, do you remember the first time that you came across Essie's work and what your reaction was to it, because that was that's groundbreaking stuff right there. It was it was much stronger than anyone would have guessed. I think people f might have figured that once in a while you might you might get uh, angiographic evidence of improvement, or you might really be able to make people improve. I don't think anybody realized that you could make people just about bulletproof, um, which is, I mean, that's our goal now. I mean, you call it bulletproof, but I'm going to call it plant strong. <laughs> What do you say we hear from Rip Esselstyn right now, huh? That's my buddy right there. That is you, my friend. Thanks for coming in. Fresh off the family farm, came to the big city to join us tonight. So first, let me just say, <clears throat> Neil, what if Plant Strong Foods was to write you a big check? Yeah. <laughs> Can't take it. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. It's good to have you here, though, man. No, it's great. It's super great. glad to. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I just took the, uh, the train down from Hudson, New York, in about two hours. So it's great to be here. Man, I love the name Plant Strong because it sums up you, it sums up your family to a T. And like, if anybody ever, 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 needed proof that a plant-strong diet can work. Have you guys seen his mom on Instagram? This sweet little dumpling of a woman, silvered hair, 
I mean, just tugging tires like she's like a world's strongest woman competition. And I'm just like, I can't keep up with her. Like, is this your future as well? Like, do you have family competitions? Are they fierce? Nobody can keep up with Ann. Literally nobody. Let me tell you. So Ann this morning woke up 6.30, went for an hour hike kind of around the property. Then she did an hour of yoga from 8 to 9. And then as I was leaving at about 9.30 to take my daughters to a basketball camp, she had a pitchfork and she was doing mulch all around the trees. (laughs) She I, is the energy energy bunny. And I do not mean to put your mom on the spot, but she's not here, so I'm going to ask. And your mom is how old now? Well, in six days, she'll be 88. Happy early birthday. Yeah. 88. Yeah, she, she truly epitomizes what, uh, what this lifestyle can do for you. And she and, and my father, they've been, you know, following this. Uh, steadfast since 1984. Mm. Long timers. Yeah. Long timers. Yeah. So 88, my dad will be 90 later this year. No meds. Uh, every, you know, I, while, while my mom was doing yoga, Essie and I, we went out for a bike ride. Uh, so, and Essie, so Essie's doing fantastically well as well. Um, but yeah, they're, they're living, you know, testimonies to what this lifestyle can do for you. It is. I hear those numbers, 80, close to 88 and then 90. And there are people in my life who are pushing that age and their health is much different than what you're describing with your mom, the, the sweet little dumpling of a tire puller. And It just blows my mind. And so we hear so often that genetics are our destiny. I think at the plant-based circle, we say that all the time. Genes are not your destiny. Well, it's cliche because it's true. And I think that maybe you agree. I mean, it really is. It's a choice. It's kind of like Shawshank Redemption, right? Get busy living or get busy dying. Would you agree? Wholeheartedly. And I... If you were to know my family history on my mother's side of the family, my father's side of the family, there's a lot of, uh, a, a lot of early deaths, a lot of cancer, uh, a lot of heart, heart, uh, heart attacks. My grandfather on my father's side of the family had his first heart attack at 42. Um, my mother's mother died of 55 of breast cancer. And so it's just kind of littered like that. So people often say to us, boy, we'd love to have your genes. And we're like, really, you, you don't want to have our genes. <laughs> what you want to have is you want to have what we have on our dinner plate, what we have in our breakfast bowl, and what we have for lunch. That's what it's all about. And you know, I was, you talk about genes, like I was just speaking with somebody last week and they were saying that there was like 900 so-called fat genes. And I was like, well, man, I got like 901. <laughs> but it's like with every meal, I feel like I'm making a choice. And if you look at your genes again, here's the cliche, like a light switch, you can either flip them on or you can flip them off. And literally every single time we sit down to eat, whether we realize it or not, you're flipping it on or you're flipping it off. Who here loves to keep those genes turned off? 
the fat genes, the cancer genes, all the bad ones. Who loves to keep those genes suppressed, right? And as you're putting your stuff together, all of, all of your meals at Plant Strong, I mean, I would imagine that you are super cognizant of that. And it's got to be a really empowering feeling to know that something that you're providing is really helping people, not just for today, but into the future, man. A- absolutely. And, you know, there's not too many food companies that are doing it right, right? And, and care more about your expiration date than the expiration date of their products, right? Care more about your shelf life uh, than the shelf life of their products. And, you know, we're trying to do everything right. It's hard to think outside the proverbial box in this industry. Um, But we are working tooth and nail and fighting as hard as we can to do that. it, It is a, I will say that we are a premium yet affordable uh, product, but we are reaching all the day parts from breakfast, lunch, dinner, chili stews, pancakes, pizza crust kits. You know, <clears throat> you guys know what I'm talking about. The chilies are amazing, by the way. <laughs> I'm just saying, they're so good. Um, I know we, we, we got to get to so many other guests here tonight, but I can't leave without asking you also about the firefighters who you worked with in The Game Changers. Has anybody seen that documentary, The Game Changers? I don't feel ripped like we've gotten much of an update on those guys since, since the film. Have you kept in touch with any of them? Yeah, I, I kept in touch with a few of them because I did an event a couple years ago. But the one that I have kept in touch with is the gentleman. His name was Nick Berman. If you can remember, his cholesterol dropped 107 points in the seven days that he followed the, uh, the plant strong kind of lifestyle. And he is just hardcore, you know, heart disease runs in his family. And he actually came to a event we had in Sedona a couple years ago, one of our live in-person retreats, um, because he felt that, that strongly about making sure that this stuck, this lifestyle. So he is just knocking it out of the park Um, you know, uh, one of the guys that I had on my first season of the podcast, Joe Inga, and maybe you guys know who I'm talking about, New York City firefighter doing incredibly well. And so are the guys in Austin, right? That, that, that I started this whole journey with at fire station two back in 2003. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah, man. It's, you know, it, it's crazy uh, how that, that one book kind of uh, <clears throat> led to a lot, a lot of dominoes falling. And let it not be said that you can't be plant-based and, and macho, man. You absolutely can be. I mean, look at this dude. And we're talking about firefighters eating a plant-based diet, y'all. Like, we are shattering, shattering stereotypes up here. <laughs> By the way, plant stock, big time coming back virtual in September, Correct. Yeah, our plant stock is virtual this year. We're leaning into the food, and so we're having 15 of the best um, plant-based whole food chefs on the planet join us. Uh, So you'll be hearing more about that soon. And, uh, yeah, then the Plant Strong Immersion. You said Sedona a little bit earlier. My ears perked up because I know you're doing that again this fall, too. In Sedona, Arizona. Yeah, man. That'll be in the middle of October. We'd love it. We're about, uh, we got about 25 spots left. If anybody wants to come, let me know. I'll give you a discount as we're walking out tonight. 
And uh, speaking of uh, things on the calendar, the following month in November, I don't think we've announced this one publicly yet. Who's ready for an exclusive? So that whole Esselstyn family we were talking about, they're coming down to D.C. We're doing the exam room live and a night with the Esselstyns, and that is going to be the third and final leg of our 15 million download tour. So uh, if you sign up for membership tonight, we can uh, certainly give you all the details on that. We'll get you the first chance at tickets for that. So super looking forward to that. I've got your sister's T-shirt I'm going to bring and uh, a tire for your mom, and we're going to have her drag it across the stage (laughs) at the National Press Club, man. All right. Thank you for honoring us on November 12th. That, that's a very special seventh. occasion. November 7th. 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 <laughs> we'll honor you on the 12th, too. If you want to stick around, we'll do two shows, man. I'm sure the demand is there. Um, Donna, if we could get uh, a couple of door prize tickets, we're going to draw that here in just a little bit. Oh, she's coming right now. Can we get another round of applause for Donna? So why don't we give away a couple of uh, copies of the book? Chew on this by Dr. Brooke Bussard. She was just on the show this week. This was such a a cool doctor. She was somebody who um, finished her first year of residency. was just like, I don't like where this is headed. My patients are not getting any better. And she's just gone through this prestigious, would you like to draw a a ticket there, Dr. Barnard? Um, Prestigious medical institution. And she's like, nope, I'm going to become a health coach because nutrition is everything. And that's what I want to talk about. And now she's got this book out. And so we're going to give a copy of said book. Who's got their tickets? Tickets, tickets. If your ticket ends in 0498, you have won a copy of the book. 0498 gets a copy of Chew on This by Dr. Brooke Bussard. Yeah! All right. Stay there. We're going to bring the book to you. And then one more. It's all good. It's all good. I think we're already behind time. I got the gifts. Yeah, absolutely. Rip gets a no pressure, Rip. Just read off the last four numbers on that. You got it. Zero three eight one. Zero. Yeah. All right. Thank you. All right. More prize. More giveaways later. We still got that jar of beans, and then like, you get to win. It. You literally get to keep the beans. Plus, you get a gift card too. What, what kind of beans are they in that jar? Do you know? Uh, garbanzo beans. Hummus time, everybody. Round of applause for hummus, right? Do you get to, if you guess it right, do you get to keep the jar of the beans as well? You get the jar of the beans, the the $100 gift card. You just got to send back the hummus that you make with the beans because I want it, man. The whole shebang. The whole shebang. All right. My next guest is one of the best cardiologists in the entire city. He also happens to be. Stop looking around like you're looking for somebody else. Don't be humble. He also happens to be the gentleman who has been on the most viewed episode of the exam room ever. To the tune of more than one and a half million views. Shocker, we were talking about erectile dysfunction that day. (laughs) Dr. Rob Osfeld, everybody. I know what y'all are thinking. And yes, Chuck did borrow my shoes. (laughs) 
You can just get them back to me next week. Yeah, I will. Thank you, man. Uh, they are a little bit big on me, but... Uh... It's my tie. I want that tie back. <laughs> you want your jacket too, Dr. Barnum? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, man. One and a half million views for uh, ED. And I'm not sure that the majority of people who clicked on, in all honesty, were quite thinking that we were going to get into what it was we were going to get into. But... ED is not just more than a bedroom letdown, man. I mean, it is a, like, red flashing alert that something else is up with you, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we call it the canary in the coal mine because it is the canary in the coal mine. You know, I mean, getting an erection is largely a vascular event. And the artery to the penis is smaller than the arteries to the heart. So by the time you have a blockage in the artery to the penis that's causing erectile dysfunction, it's extremely likely you already have a blockage in the blood vessels in one of the, or in the, one of the blood vessels that feeds your heart with blood, but just hasn't manifest clinically yet. And so it's really the canary in the coal mine. And atherosclerosis, that cholesterol disease in the blood vessels, it doesn't just affect one spot. It's a systemic disease. It affects your legs and the blood vessels to your brain and your heart and your penis. So it indeed is the canary in the coal mine. And typically, on average, they say around, if you have erectile dysfunction, you can have overt manifestations of heart disease maybe about five years later. And there's, there's a pretty cool study, the uh, Massachusetts Male Aging Study, where I forget the exact numbers, but something around like 40, 30, 40% of men in their 40s may have some erectile dysfunction. And to be honest, I think that's an underestimation. Certainly from my clinic, it's an underestimation. And look, you know, it's something that people are not comfortable talking about. Um, and, you know, I can see it in the eyes of my patients when, you know, you can sort of get a sense that they're circling around wanting to talk about it and you want to set up an environment where they are comfortable doing that. Um, but I think it's in incredibly common and can be quite a compelling motivator for people. And I've got this one patient who had erectile dysfunction, and he went plant-based. And now he says that he is a rock star <laughs> in the bedroom. Now, I don't know what his wife thinks, but rock that's star. what he thinks. <laughs> yes, sir. Four one for the plants, man. They win again. Um, God, man, yeah. You know, I, I hear you say that, and it, it was... I can, I can hear the hearts breaking for the one and a half million people who tuned in to listen to our episode because what we did was we went down a list of the most consumed foods in the standard American diet and one by one asked whether or not they could contribute to erectile dysfunction and it got so bad, you basically <laughs> called the top 10 the erectile dysfunction all-stars, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the American diet is basically like the erectile dysfunction starter kit. Uh, <laughs> uh, which is sad. And you know, like, along those, like, there are these crazy studies. There are these two studies that I really like. There's this one study where they tried to estimate the health of the U.S. And, and one thing they looked at was the U.S. diet. Now, this is not going to be a super surprise to the audience here. But anyway, they, they defined a healthy diet. And they put people into, a, it was a very reasonable way, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, things like that. And they put people into a poor dietary category, an intermediate, and like a really good dietary category. Like 75% of the U.S. was in the poor category. 25% in the, in the middle one. 0.7% in the 
of the US was in the like ideal dietary range. I mean, it's like mind-numbing. And there's this study, if you're speaking of Framingham, there is this really interesting study out of the Framingham Heart Study, and they, it was a dietary study. And uh, they got data on junk food, you know, cookies, chips, cakes, cola, that kind of stuff. And shocker, the more you ate, the worse you did. But what was interesting to me is that the average, 3,000 people in the study, the average person, the average person ate seven and a half servings per day of junk food. Mm. I mean, it's like, what, what, how do you have time to do anything else? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's the erectile dysfunction starter kit. Well, let me, let me ask you this, right? Because we have seen this explosion of plant-based foods on store shelves. Um, and I think that by and large, generally speaking, as a society, we see the word vegan, we see the word plant-based, we automatically assume that something is healthy. But a lot of these plant-based foods, these treats especially, they have a lot of coconut oil in it, a lot of palm oil in them. Plant-based, but as a cardiologist, are those also some like red flag type ingredients for you? Yeah, I mean, that's a really great point. And the devil is in the details. And there's a wonderful study that Dr. McMacken and I love by this <clears throat> wonderful epidemiologist. And I think she may have spoken at your conference, uh, Dr. Satija. And she, they, she looked at a plant-based diet index. And that, um, and, she, so, and she broke a plant-based diet into a healthy plant-based diet, you know, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, or into a junk food vegan diet. The sugar cookies, the cakes, the candies, which are vegan, but are they healthy? No. In that study, the more of a healthy plant-based diet you ate, the better you did, and the more of a junk food vegan diet you did, the worse you did. And in fact, in that study, if you ate a junk food vegan diet, you did numerically worse than if you ate an animal-based diet. So, yeah, the devil's in the details. And, yeah, I mean, the sugar cookies are, I mean, it's, you know, great for, I guess, you know, the ethical aspects of it, but not health. Man. So, I guess my question to you is this. I mean, a lot of us asked at the top, you know, when did you first learn about the connection between food and health? And a lot of the numbers came up. I mean, people in their 70s or later, right? How far gone is too far gone, right? Like, you said it's never too late. As a cardiologist, I mean, what is your message when a patient comes to you and they just feel like all hope is lost because they've been eating this way for decades? Yeah, I mean, I came to this awareness uh, a Tuesday. Um, <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I mean, from my perspective, it's never too early to begin and it's never too late uh, to begin. Um, so I have... You know, my, I have patients in their 80s who are starting to turn things around. You, you see the same kinds of benefits. And, you know, I have young nieces and nephew, and I hope <laughs> that they will eat more and more plant-based because it's, it's never too early to start. So it's, it's uh, wonderful for you across the life spectrum. And, you know, actually, you, you don't have to take my word for it because I'm an adult cardiologist, you know. But if you look at the Association of Nutrition and Dietitians, Dietetics, I'm, it's called AND, I think I messed up their name. But that's the, the Society for RDs, kind of like the American College of Cardiology for cardiologists. 
And they say that a plant-based diet can be healthful, a well-planned one, throughout the life cycle, including pregnancy. So you don't have to take an adult cardiologist's word for it. You can take their word for it. And man, um, I can't let you go also without saying congratulations on your new office. I mean, that place is fantastic. The location just doesn't get any better. Manhattan West, I mean, right by the train hall, Hudson Yards. I had the opportunity to go at the grand opening. Man, it is gorgeous in there. I can't imagine the amount of good you're able to do with the new location. Well, thank you so much, and it was an honor to have you there. And the work we're doing there is very much inspired by the work you all do at PCRM, by your family, by Dr. McMacken, and all the incredible plant-based docs out there. And Montefiore has just opened up this space in Manhattan West. Oh my God, it's so nice. Um, and really, I mean, like it's, I mean, it is. it's not mine. It really is. It's not mine, I just work for them, but it's super lovely. And so, you know, I have a plant-based cardiology clinic there. And, uh, you know, if people are interested in coming, please do. We have a lot of open spots because it just, just opened up. And the, uh, the phone number is uh, 212-324-4222. 212-324-4222. Uh, and, um, but so, you know, we have a program at Montefiore, which we've had probably for about 13 years or so now. And uh, it's our plant-based protein with a, a plant-based program with a clinical arm, an educational arm, and a research arm. And the clinical arm has an outpatient component to it where we see patients in clinic and encourage them to have a plant-based diet. And now that COVID has kind of passed to a large degree, we are going to be re-upping our um, Saturday morning sessions, at least virtually. We had those for free for patients for about 10 years, but th that stopped with COVID, of course, and we're going to be re-upping that. Um, and so, and then that's the outpatient clinical arm. We have an inpatient clinical arm, uh, very much, you know, inspired by the work of Dr. McMacken at, at HHS, where we have plant-based meals for uh, inpatients that you can order. We have Forks Over Knives playing on one of the inpatient TV channels on continuous loop with Spanish subtitles uh, and some educational stuff for patients as well. I mean, you can watch CBS, but you can also watch this. Um, and we have an educational arm where we get to speak, and we had our conference for a number of years that stopped with COVID and Grand Rounds and things, and a research arm as well. Um, and I'm, we've hit some serious headwinds, but along the lines of erectile dysfunction, we have in pencil uh, late August to start our um, erectile function research study comparing uh, plant-based to an animal-based diet, very similar to the Game Changers. So. I bet it was really hard to find volunteers for that one. Well, uh, perhaps um, we will be paying people to be part of the study, so that may help them The volunteer. younger me would have signed up at a second, man. I'm not even going to lie to you. That's outstanding. All right, so that number again, 212-324-4222. Book your appointment today. Rob Osfeld. Stick around, man. We're going to do the doctor's mailbag. I'm sure somebody has a question or two for you. Fantastic. All right. But you mentioned Dr. Michelle McMacken just a second ago. So uh, this woman is another complete and total game changer. And she is here to make her exam room debut tonight. Dr. Michelle McMacken, come on up. Thank you so much for coming. So good to see you. Have a seat. Get comfortable. 
Not too terribly long ago, before I started eating a plant-based diet, I wound up in the hospital and they gave me a menu and it, I swear it was just like ordering at McDonald's. I was shocked. You are working tirelessly to change that. Um, before we get into the work that you're doing, I gotta ask you, like, how overall would you say is the state of the hospital menu in the United States? The state of the hospital menu in the United States, um, that's going to get a pretty bad grade. <laughs> With like F, F minus, F minus minus? Yeah, like just don't even take the course. Gotcha. All yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I, I think that the, it's pretty clear, though, that hospitals are actually graded on their performance as far as what patients like, you know, as far as the food and their satisfaction. And one of the things that we have found, if I could just share, is that by um, New York City Health and Hospitals, which is the largest municipal public health system in the country, we serve, 11, we serve 1 million patients a year, we have 11 hospitals, um, about a million meals per year. Basically, we have adopted a completely plant-based menu at all 11 hospitals. And Dr. Osfeld is very modest because he, he's actually been a pioneer in this space, and we're inspired by him, so we'll trade, we'll trade mutual admiration. <laughs> um, but um, this, what our hospitals have done is essentially set up a system where the first option, the default option, a.k.a. the chef's recommendation, is a plant-based meal. Nice. 100% plant-based meal. So if the patient says, you know, well, you know, I don't really, you know, arroz con gandules does not sound that good to me tonight, you know, rice and peas and veg other vegetables doesn't sound that good, what else do you have? The second option is a plant-based option. <laughs> so at that point, if they really are like, neither of those things sound good, then they actually have to voice the request to have an animal product on their meal. So you have to go down three rungs, basically. Um, and what our, what our executive chef did that was really smart is, first of all, they did lots of tastings with both staff and patients. They took, they had a whole show, they took a whole show on the road where they went to all the hospitals and they had the nurses taste the meal. So of course, everybody, anyone who's ever visited anyone in the hospital or been in the hospital themselves knows that when you don't like your food, the first person who has to hear about it is always the nurse, right? So you've got to get the nurses on board. So they got the nurses on board. They had them try the food. Everybody loved the food. The food is delicious. And I went to some of those tastings and staff were asking, why can't we get this food? Mm. So that's how good it tastes. It's also very, um, it represents a lot of different culinary traditions. Um, we, we serve an extremely diverse patient population, so I think our chef wanted to reflect that. So the satisfaction and the acceptance have been in the high 90s. It's just wow. Wow. unbelievable. And I, 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 I will, just full disclosure, I actually can't take credit for this initiative, but it's part of a broader um, switch across all of our hospitals to moving more plant-based and a lot of other initiatives that we have. You know, it, it, it's, it's more than just a meal. 
Like, because I am of the belief that a person has to be ready to change in order to make the changes that are necessary. Otherwise, you can talk to anybody until you're blue in the face, but if that person is not ready to make the change, it's just not going to happen. But if a person is in the hospital, they're pretty close to rock bottom if they haven't hit it yet. And when you reach rock bottom, that is really what is the launching pad for change. How important is it that you're reaching people at this dire moment in hopes of really making that change, not just stick for the days that they're in the hospital, but carries them into the future so they're not a return patient? Right. I mean, I think that it is a really, um, it's a potentially a very vulnerable time in someone's life where they may be open to information that they otherwise wouldn't have taken in. And I think the other, the other really incredible thing about reaching people in the hospital is a lot of times they have family visiting them. Mm-hmm. And so when you have, you know, I know from the years where I did inpatient medicine, when you go to a patient's bedside and you're talking to them about, you know, why are you here and what happened and what can you do to stay healthier, you have family there. You have, you know, people who are maybe cooking for the patient. Or, and so this is like the perfect opportunity to actually talk to the whole family at once because you know when that person goes home, they're all still going to be eating together. Oh, yeah. You've got to get everybody on board. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I, you know, there's always that one family member that's like, no, the doctor said you could not eat that and this is what you have to eat. But the good news is it's like if you're not just serving like peas and carrots or succotash or something, you know, that's okay, but I mean, you guys are doing it up right at the hospital. That, I would think, is going to make the entire family more apt to rally around and make sure that this healthy diet continues to be served on their, on their tables. Yeah, what they actually, one, one amazing thing um, that our food and nutrition department did is they put together a whole recipe booklet. So you can actually get all the recipes for everything that's served in the hospital when you get discharged. Isn't that brilliant? Um, they, they did a great job. What's your favorite recipe? Like legit, you did all the tastings. What's your favorite? Oh, so my favorite, my favorite was actually the um, the calabaza. They had an amazing calabaza stew. It was a like a typical Caribbean squash root vegetable stew. Um, just so good. There's so many there, and there's so many great options. That's being served in the hospital, Doctor Barnard. Yeah. Like we can't go to a lot of restaurants and order that. Yeah, yeah. Like, if I just show up at the ER and, like, place an order, can they hook me up? <laughs> I mean, my goodness. Like, that is we're, on, we're on Seamless now. We're actually on Seamless. <laughs> DoorDash, Uber Eats, like, whatever. Hello? Like, that's awesome. So, so what, is, what is the future here? Because I would love to think that the blueprint that you are establishing here in New York could be taken to other cities, not just here in the States, but like global and have just a massive impact. Yeah, there's been a, there's been a huge amount of interest. Um, our food and nutrition department, um, they've really done an incredible job and they've, they have gotten so many requests to share about how they did this, what, you know, how did they roll this out, um, how well is it being received, um, and share all of that data. So I think that other hospitals are turning an eye to this and it's a, you know, people, people know that the food that is being served in hospitals, it's, it's criminal to have someone be going through, you know, a potentially life-threatening event and share with them food that is going to, you know, potentially 
trigger the next event. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it just doesn't make sense. It's such a wonderful opportunity to teach people um, about a healthy meal and also to really, you know, one of the things that I love about our executive chef is that he talks about how um, he never wants to hear the term hospital food. Mm-hmm. It's food that's served in the hospital. It's served to help people feel like they're being nourished, that it's healing them, and it's served with dignity. Yeah. I mean, you, you put it like that, and I feel like your chef absolutely should feel like a pharmacist and that they are dispensing medication. It's just not coming yeah. in the form of an injection or a pill. But by God, that is some powerful spinach, is it not, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, that's that's really cool. So, I mean, I just, you guys are really doing fantastic work. And um, again, I'd like to volunteer the next round of tasting. <laughs> if you need somebody, I'm just an Amtrak away, Dr. McMackens. So, oh man, I mean, this guy's, I, I wish that we had three hours to do tonight, but we're just kind of doing a really just fast, fast show here to, to cram as much in as possible. So, um, did everybody get the opportunity when you bought your tickets tonight to submit a question uh, or maybe at the door you left a question as well? Because uh, who here on the show loves it on Wednesdays when we do the live episodes on YouTube and we open up the doctor's mailbag? So let's go ahead and do that. And uh, I got a pre-submitted one here. And this is from Cynthia. Uh, Dr. Barnard, I want to start with you. Um, have you guys seen a lot of push recently um, from these studies or a study that says, well, look, you know, a whole fat dairy diet is protective for the heart. Has anybody been seeing this make the rounds recently? This has been big time. I've had a number of exam roomies write in asking about this. So Dr. Barnard, Cynthia's question is, what do the doctors think about the new study showing that whole fat dairy is beneficial for heart health? This is in particular about the pure healthy diet score. So what do we know about this? Yeah, okay. Um, Backing up, uh, the reason that this became so controversial is the number one source of bad fat in the diet, number one source of saturated fat, dairy products. Number two is meat. And so this study came out and it said, well, dairy products, if you look around different countries, those that are having the most dairy products are the healthiest. And so dairy's gotta be good for you. And it was not a randomized clinical trial. It was not the kind of thing that that Dr. Osfeld would wanna do. What it was was totally observational and as you know, um, dairy consumption will go with wealth. So that if you have a country that has good health care and, and can afford rich food, um, they have lots of other advantages that, that, that end up really confounding the, the study. So if you do this in a randomized fashion, you take the dairy out of the diet, you suddenly see cholesterol levels falling and so forth. So it's a heavily confounded study. But there are industries out there who are trying to promote this kind of study, um, any kind of study, that will sell their product. And we see it not only with, with food, but also with medications like Wagovi and so forth that are being pushed just tremendously. Um, so anyway. Here's, when I saw that headline, I wanted to dig a little bit deeper and, and take a look at this. And I put on my old reporter hat. That is what I did before I was here with the exam room. And I looked at what the definition of a healthy diet for this pure healthy diet generally translated to. And here's what it broke down to. And Dr. Osfeld, I would love to get your opinion on this. Here, here was their definition of healthy. Three to four servings weekly of legumes, 
seven servings a week of nuts, two to three servings a week of fish, 14 servings a week of dairy. But then here's kind of where us journalists, not to throw us under the bus, get a little bit tricky. Four to five servings daily of fruits and vegetables. So if you multiply four and five by seven, you get 28 or 35. Why wasn't the headline 35 servings of fruits and vegetables a week are great for the heart, but instead you're talking about half of that for whole fat dairy and that's getting the headline, right? That's, that's got to be kind of frustrating. What's your opinion on, on that? Well, I, I think we have to call Big Broccoli and get their marketing department. I'm going to have to revisit that policy, Dr. Barnard. Yeah. I mean, you know, so the, the Pure study is a Herculean effort. I mean, it's a Hercule. They got gathered data from all over the world um, about dietary information and outcomes. I mean, the investigators you know, should be lauded for that incredible work. But it's, you know, it's been a while since I've reviewed the study, but as I recall, their dietary assessment was once, and then they followed the people for a very, very, very long time. And I'm, I'm assuming everyone here eats the exact same thing every single day, every day for years, right? Right, of course not. Um, so, you know, these, like as Dr. Barner was saying, these things are quite confounded. And there's some aspects of that study that are wonderful. You know, the legumes, the nuts, the fruits and vegetables, wholly aligned with, uh, with guidelines. And then there are other aspects of it that I wouldn't agree with um, as much. But, you know, if you even just fall back on the American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association guidelines, which are also aligned with a plant-based diet. It's tons of vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, lentils, nuts, um, and they, they do have some fish in it, but that doesn't mean you have to have that. But it's an incredibly uh, healthful dietary pattern, extremely evidence-based. This is one study that's potentially confounded, and they buried the lead. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. So I, what I would love to do, honestly, is just gather a whole bunch of journalists in a room and try to just like teach them how to actually interpret data and not necessarily just regurgitate what was on a press release, right? Dig a little deeper, use your journalistic chops, and I think that if we could train my fellow journalists on how to properly read a lot of these studies and this research, I think that you would start to see those headlines shift a little bit, right? I absolutely do. So maybe that could be the next big project for the exam room. I don't know. Question for you, Mr. Plant Strong. Question from Kieran. Uh, Rip, I would love to have half of your energy. I would love to have half of your mom's energy. <laughs> I get the most of my energy, I feel like, from energy drinks. What is your opinion on those? Should we be incorporating them into our diet? Where does your energy come from, and should it be coming from a can of Red Bull? What say you, Rip Esselstyn? <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, I don't think unless you're training for a marathon or an Ironman triathlon that those energy drinks have any merit whatsoever. So I would say if you're training for anything that's like an, if you, if you go out for, let's say, an hour and a half bike ride, for the most part, just do water, right? Um, I think most Americans, they go to the gym, they, they're trying to do their protein shakes or trying to do their Gatorades. They're just drinking their calories uh, they think they need protein. They don't need any more protein than what they're getting from their food. <clears throat> so I think it's just a big, unfortunate waste. And it, I don't think it's actually giving them any increased energy whatsoever. <laughs> right? I mean, the root, the root of your energy is going to come from your, I think, your food, getting sleep, exercise, doing all, 
not you know spending the last two hours uh, in bed on a screen, so you don't get a good night's sleep. But it's those basics that I think really add up uh, to give give you nice solid energy. Yeah, man, he would know. Look at look at that guy. Show those guns one time for us, would you? <laughs> I, I don't lift weights. I just do push-ups and pull-ups. That's it. Look at that. Look at that, right? I'm telling you. Uh, two more quick ones. This one is for you. This comes from a nurse's assistant, Dr. McMacken, who is wondering uh, how they can help move the needle with the physicians whom they're working with and trying to get their hospitals to incorporate more healthy foods. Oh, that's such a great question. Thank you for asking that. I think that... Um, I think that with physicians, and Dr. Osfeld, you can jump in, but I, I think that physicians are remarkably slow to adopt new things, um, especially, you know, mo- most of us, you know, received very little training in nutrition. That's a cliche at this point, but unfortunately, it's still true in most medical schools. Um, I think there's probably a personal component where if you're not eating a certain way and someone says, you know, let's try this, you think, oh, well, if I'm not eating that way, how can I advise other people to eat that way? So there's a lot of barriers. And plus, there's always like, I don't have time to talk about this. I'm too busy. So I think that one of my experience has been one of the most valuable ways to get doctors on board is to show them a a story of a real patient, you know, because you can talk about studies um, and I love science, and we, you know, Dr. Oswald and I are constantly texting about studies. I mean, it's like a total nerd text exchange. That's awesome, though. But, but most Guilty. people, at the end of the day, really want to hear a story. So, for example, when I, when I talk to my colleagues and say, I saw a patient today in my clinic who, in December, she was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And... She didn't want to start medications right away. Her doctor was like, well, I'm not sure what else to do. And the patient came to our lifestyle program. And I said, let's work together on this. She tried. She went ahead and went on a plant-based diet, started exercising more, sleeping more, coping with her stress. She had the support of our whole team. And I literally saw this patient today, and her diabetes is in remission. Wow. And you tell, you tell, I mean, that story, and that's, you know, this isn't great evidence, right? It's just one person. This is not, you could never make a decision based on one patient. But that, I will, I promise you that story resonates. So if you can, if you can find stories like that and share that with physicians, and especially if physicians can share them with each other, then it becomes a domino effect. When I teach, you know, new interns and residents and their first day I say we've got to talk about nutrition with this patient who has a new diagnosis of diabetes or high blood pressure or high cholesterol that sticks with them and they see the changes at the next visit they're like oh that actually made a difference yeah um, can, can I jump in on that absolutely just really, really quickly you know you talk you're, you're right that just one case isn't the same as a study but on the other hand that's one case of yeah. diabetes going away that never happened um, in most of the practices of the best endocrinologists in the country. And they don't promise it, they don't expect it, they don't talk about the patient, they don't talk to the patient about that being a possibility. So if you've got a person who started developing diabetes after probably years of insulin resistance, they're into their career of it, and working with you and working with your team, that disease disappeared. That one case is groundbreaking. 
And now that we see that as a matter of routine, if people follow the right kind of diet, it's so, so telling for where medicine really needs to go. Yep, that ripple effect. And the final question comes to us from Laura, Dr. Asfeld. This is for you. She says, somebody in my life has battled with atrial fibrillation. They've had a number of procedures. It seems like no matter what, that keeps coming back. What is it that I can tell them that could help move that needle? And is AFib at all connected to diet? So that's a great question. And along the lines of what Dr. Barnard and Dr. McMacken were saying, I agree, those stories, those short, short cases are, are terrific. And we, we've published a few of our cases in, in medical journals. And if you go on PubMed and you put in our last name, you can find a couple of our cases. And one of them, I think, is in the International Journal of Disease Reversal and Prevention, which is not on PubMed yet. But that can be very helpful. And they're really, really short. Um, and so but in terms of atrial fibrillation, I, I'm not, unfortunately, I'm not going to give the answer that everybody would want to hear. Clearly, risk factors that are lifestyle-related can promote atrial fibrillation. So being obese, having high blood pressure, um, that certainly can promote atrial fibrillation. But we do not have evidence that a plant-based diet can reverse atrial fibrillation or make you not need to be on a blood thinner. Now, hypothetically, in terms of making atrial fibrillation happen less, hypothetically, it makes a lot of sense because it improves the risk factors. So the triggers for it may not be there as much. Um, but it's very, we have to be very careful because the, if you're not uh, treating the atrial fibrillation in the guideline-based way with blood thinners and appropriate medications, you really can ramp up your risk of a stroke. And the, the types of strokes you can get in atrial fibrillation are devastating. They're usually very large ones. And atrial fibrillation is there's two, two chambers on top of the heart. I should have started with this. Uh, the atrium. And there's two chambers in the bottom, the ventricles. And normally the atrium on top squeezed in an organized way and pump blood to the bottom of the heart. And then the bottom of the heart pumps blood to the body. Okay, great. With atrial fibrillation, the atrium, instead of squeezing like this in an organized way, jiggle. They just jiggle. And one of the things that does is when the blood is going through there, it can pool and clot and break off and go to your brain, go to your kidney, go somewhere you do not want it to go. Um, so a healthy lifestyle, a plant-based lifestyle, possibly can reduce your risk of having atrial fibrillation, hypothetically may make it happen less often, but it would be a complete deviation from the guidelines to say that it is a cure or preclude appropriate medications, including blood thinners. Um, yeah. The honesty, though. That's amazing. So, um, as I say on the show, that's all the time we have for the doctor's mailbag. If we didn't get to your question today, we will save it and do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. Um, but let's not forget, if you have not already become a member of the Physicians Committee, your opportunity to do that is right upstairs because, guys, we cannot do these episodes and reach 100 million people without your support. So let's change some lives. Thanks for coming out, everybody. What a fun night that was. And now the cat is out of the bag. 
the third and final leg of our big podcast celebration. Our thank you to you will be November 7th in Washington, D.C., a night with the Esselstyns. We are bringing Rip back. We are bringing in Caldwell Esselstyn and Ann Esselstyn and Jane Esselstyn and honoring this family's incredible legacy. Talking about their history and what Rip was saying. People wish they had the Esselstyn genetics. And no, he says, you really don't because we have the same chronic diseases in our family as you do in yours. So together as we gather on November 7th, what we are going to do is honor the Esselstyn legacy and give you all of the information you could possibly want on planting a healthier family tree for you moving forward just as they have done for themselves. Genes do not have to be your destiny. They do not have to be your destiny. So come join us. Let's get inspired together. Let's learn together. Let's raise our health IQs together. Join myself, the Esselstyns, Dr. Neil Barnard at the National Press Club on November 7th. Grab your tickets right now at pcrm.org slash events. That's pcrm.org slash events or click that link in the episode notes. And, you know, there were a lot of people last week at the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine who caught wind of the event and decided, man, I got to get my hands on those tickets. I got to come back to D.C. for this. And they did. So get yours now. They are going to be going fast. PCRM.org slash events or click that link in the episode notes. And speaking of that conference last week, ICNM 2023, it seems like every year the conference just gets bigger and better and more powerful and uplifting. And this year, certainly no exception. Had the opportunity to meet just an incredible amount of exam roomies who came from all over the world to join us there. And we got so many incredible interviews. Speaking of which, I want to say hi to one particular exam roomie, Tony from New York who came down. Man, I really appreciated speaking with you, my friend. I really did. And I hope to see you November 7th back here in DC, man. You are a game changer, brother, man. So keep it up. You want to talk about genetics not being your destiny? You talk to Tony and what he's got planned for the future, how he was able to turn things around. Tony's the man. Love me some Tony. But also loved getting some great interviews that you guys are going to be able to hear coming up in the coming weeks and months as we head into fall here. Interview with protein experts, Christopher Gardner, Brenda Davis, Dr. Garth Davis, Irish rock star Tanya O'Callaghan. That's an interview that's going to open some eyes. Tanya is someone who went from as a wee litty lass in Ireland going on these animal rescue missions before she was even 10 years old and now has this incredible music career and still finding time to give back to the planet, the animals, and to everyone's health. Extraordinary individual, extraordinary interview coming your way. Also got Dr. Veggie Ted Barnett. And I also am really pleased to be able to tell you that I sat down with Dr. Michael Greger as well and had the opportunity to speak with him for about 45 minutes about his new book. It's going to be coming out in December called How Not to Age. Flip through that. You know, that book, 
is about half the size of what he originally submitted to the publishers. And it's well over 600 pages, close to 9,000 citations in that. And he said, well, you know, I didn't want to throw out everything that the publisher cut. So we just made videos on nutritionfacts.org of all the stuff that didn't make the book. But all of the videos now are referenced in the published version that will be coming out soon. So really cool conversation. And we also got into the inspiration for the book, which is his great aunt Pearl, who lived to be well over 100 years old. So we're going to get into that as well. So stay tuned. Details on the Dr. Greger interview in the near future. Sat down with Ocean Robbins as well, took part in the Food Revolution Summit, so keep an eye out on that. Plus, we we filmed while Dr. Gemma Newman was in town for ICNM. We filmed the second season of One Healthy World together, and that was a blast. We're really shaking things up this season with One Healthy World, and so it was cool to be able to chop it up with my colleague from across the pond and just spend some time with her and just so many laughs. You guys really do you inspire me. It's not just the experts who I get the opportunity to speak with who become my friends, but you guys also are my friends. And going across the street to Fruitive of having smoothies with you and some Tuscan kale wraps and enjoying all the wonderful food at the conference as well. Talking with you guys was really the highlight of everything. And thank you so much for just being the incredible community that you are. And one more shout out, though, to Fruitive, man. I must have had like a cow pow and Tuscan kale wrap a day while I was there. So Greg Roseboom and the crew there continues to just make magic happen. I saw so many people from the conference keep going over and say, I heard you talk about the cacao pow on the show. I had to try one for myself. And I'm telling you, if you love chocolate, you're going to love the cacao pow. No doubt about it. They've got one location in Virginia Beach and one up here in D.C. So if you're ever in either one of those towns, check it out. And please say that Chuck from the exam room sent you to give it a try. But for today, my friends, let's just leave it there. We learned a lot. What a fun night in New York. What a fun time at ICNM. And what a time we're going to have in November with the Esselstyns. So cool. So cool. So I want to say thank you one more time to all of my guests who joined me that night on stage. Dr. Neil Barnard, Drs. Robert Osfeld and Michelle McMacken, as well as Rip Esselstyn and all of you exam roomies who were there too. You guys are extraordinary. And thank you so much for being part of the celebration. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.